Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Page 63, the Church of Philadelphia is a great church. And it is the era that connotates the great missionary movement that happened in church history. The Philadelphia church is around, and you want to be part of this church, okay? This is the good church, Philadelphia church. This will continue to the end. This church, interesting enough, in this passage, is promised to be taken out of the time of trouble by the rapture. Okay, so you would definitely want to be a part of uh, uh, this church. The Philadelphia church is the remnant church, okay, for the last days. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, right, these things say he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the keys of David, he that opens and none shall shut. Now the idea of the key of David, it's the, the key that opened the treasuries of King David. And if you had that key, you were able to unlock all the treasure that David had stored up, and then later on, and Solomon had stored up, it was the king's treasure. And it opened the door to all those resources. So Jesus saying that he has the key of David says, I have the key to open doors and shut them to all the resources this church needs and to the fields where the harvest is. Okay, watch this. He that opens and none shall shut. So whatever Jesus opens, no one can shut it. And that shuts and no none opens. So what Jesus shuts, then no one can open it. He is the one who opens the, 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 the gateway for the gospel to get to certain locations. This is such a main and plain foundational truth on mission work that I cannot understand why people don't get this. Now what do you mean by this? Again, this is the missional church. And he has given you a foundation of understanding missions. He is basically saying, you go to places that I have unlocked. You don't go to places that I have locked. Because if you try to unlock it, I am the only one that can open it. Now that's very interesting. You know what that does? That flies in the face of Calvinistic view of missions. Why even have it is a good question. But no, the, the issue is, it's not emphasizing go make disciples, it's emphasizing the scent. You want to know that? Just read Piper or any of those guys on it. The idea in the Calvinist Reformed Covenantal mindset of the Great Commission is emphasizing the scent. So imagine an ocean, and people are drowning on the ocean, and they're in different locations of the ocean. The Calvinist mindset is, we're going to send boats all over the ocean. Because we're going to say we're sending the gospel around the world. Okay? In this part of the ocean, there's an ocean liner that's sinking and there's a thousand people on it. And then in this part of the world, there's a little tugboat or a little rowboat that has one or two people on it. Okay? The Calvinists will say, well, we need to send all of the boats out. And so they send the one boat out to the ocean liner and there's a thousand people sinking. 
And they're saying, you've got to send more boats. There's only a room enough for 20 to get on the boat. We need more boats. And they say, no, we cannot do that. We're sending boats over here to get these one or two people over here. Spending the same amount of resources where the harvest is right here, they're sending it over here to where there's no harvest. It's called the law of the harvest. And therefore, you have guys like David Platt and other people who are reformed saying, we only have 3,000 more people groups to reach, and if we reach those, Jesus will come back. Which is a messed up eschatology to begin with, and it's almost getting into date setting, obviously. But just think of the logical thing about missions. Okay, so you're telling me you got a thousand people that need to be saved off this boat, and you're only going to send one boat, and that's all the resources you're going to send? Yes. And you're going to keep sending resources to places there's nobody responding? Yes, because we're emphasizing the sent rather than to make disciples. Well, you can't get away from it, because that's where the logical extension of five-point Calvinism leads you. Okay? So, I'll give you a real-world example. You ready for the real-world example? This is not theory. This is what's happening. So we're down, we're connected with Steve Kern down in Central America, right? At a certain point in his ministry, he kept telling the, uh, the International Mission Board, send more missionaries down here. They're going ballistics, man. People are getting saved left and right. We need more missionaries. We need more people on the ground. And you know what they responded? Oh, you know, El Salvador is only 30, is, is 30% reached. You guys are done. We're going to send uh, elsewhere. We're going to send to places where people are not responding. And so that's when Steve broke off and said, forget you guys. You guys are crazy. And he started Good News in Action and hooked up with Leo Humphrey. But the mindset it was, came from the, from the IMB was a Calvinistic mindset. That we're, we're not going to send you any more boats, Steve. You guys have a 30% reach in El Salvador. He goes, yes, but they keep responding. And he didn't have enough resources down there. So they want to stick up places in Muslim countries that are closed. Let's put people in Muslim countries and see how well they do. Let's put blonde American women in Muslim countries and see how well they respond. I mean, that's the mindset. Because they're emphasizing the scent, not the harvest. What I close, no one can open. Don't keep beating your head against an area that is closed. Jesus is firmly telling you, go somewhere where the open door is. Spend your money where the open door is. Quit spending your money into areas that produce no fruit. I, I, that's simple, I think. But yet, churches continue to put people in locations and no one's responding to them. Well, okay, let's test the waters out. Let's just give it a year or two years. But if you're not getting a response, let's pull you out, let's stick you in Central America and watch hundreds of people get saved. I don't know where how they're missing this, except it comes from a theological presupposition of Calvinism. Always went to the open door. Always. That's right. If you follow the missionary journeys, that's exactly what Paul did. And he also didn't stay where he was going to be abused either. He fled. One time they let him out of a, in a basket. He didn't say, I'll just take it for Jesus and get it. Now, he did get beaten. He had a lot of things happen to him. But if he could get out of it, he would. 
But you now have the missional narcissism now that's happening where these people want to do extreme living like they see on TV and they want to go to extreme areas where no one's responding, but all they do is blog back to you how extreme living it is. And, and, and I'm making this sacrifice for Jesus. And I have one question for them. How many people you've led to the Lord? But we had mold in our apartment. And we're fighting the sickness. And, and we got sick on the train. And it was really cold here. And a bat bit me. I don't care. I don't care that the bat bit you. I don't care how cold it is. Because you decided that God called you to this area. You said to lead people to the Lord. And I haven't heard one person from you that you've led to the Lord and discipled. What are you doing over there? I know I'm seen to be uh, angry about that, but I am seriously concerned about mission programs that are narcissistic, extreme living, and produce no fruit. Because your money goes to that. If you were part of the cooperative program in the Southern Baptist, which we pulled out, and we don't give to that cooperative program because they keep putting people in areas that don't respond and we're, we're, we're paying for missionaries to live uh, a lifestyle that do nothing. Well, I'm not going to send, send my money to that and neither should you. You send your money to mission and missionaries who are producing fruit that are in, in areas that are getting a response because it comes back to the scriptures. What I open, no one can shut. What I shut, no one can open. It's that simple. And this is the mission church, Philadelphia. Read on. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you the door opened, which none can shut. By the way, historically, Philadelphia was on a travel road. And Philadelphia had access to evangelize like there was no tomorrow because they were on this travel road that they were on. It was an unbelievable strategic position. Okay, so he knows where they're at. He knows how they, he's, he's opened the door for this church to evangelize. And notice that he says that you have little power. Now, that's interesting. You know what that's a reference to? You have little money. I know you have little money, but you can do great things. In history, this missionary movement that happened from 1648 to the 1900s, missions, there wasn't a place on the planet that wasn't open at this point in time. Okay, with British colonialism and all that stuff, the whole world had opened up to missions. There wasn't a place where missionaries couldn't go. It wasn't closed. And they flourished, but they had very little money supporting them. But they yet they made it happen. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus is telling the Philadelphia church, and if you're part of the Philadelphia church, you will always be short on money. But Jesus is saying, I know how little you have, but you can do great things. And you stay with the open door, and you can do a lot. That's a great uh, a con consolence to a church that's struggling. And did keep my word. The great thing about Philadelphia is they kept their theology straight. They didn't lax in that, man. They were straight up, and they still are. And did not deny my name. Denying my name means denying the theology from the Scriptures, denying the Scriptures, denying what it teaches. They don't deny doctrines like some of these, these false churches do. Behold, I give of you of the synagogue of Satan of them that say they are Jews and they are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you.
Oh my land, did you see that? Now again, this idea that, that those who claim to be Jews, um, obviously with the Philadelphia church coming late in history, there's, a, there's an interesting parallel with, with Israel. Those who say they are Jews and are not, it's those who claim to be the true Israel. Now follow me on this. At this time in history, the cults started breaking loose. It is at this time in history that the cults start flourishing. And guess what the hallmark of, of the cults is? They claim to be the true Israel and are not. The Jehovah Witness claim they're the 144,000. But if you read Revelation 7 and 14, it says the 144,000 are Jewish virgin men in the tribulation. And yet the, the Jehovah Witnesses say the true Israel. Seventh-day Adventists say they're the new Israel. The Mormons say they're the new Israel. The Roman Catholic Church says they're the Israel of God. Do you see the difference? There are people in Christian cults claiming to be the true Israel of God and are not. And they look at you and I saying, you guys are apostates when they are the ones that are apostates. And so they're going to get grief. You're going to get grief from them, from the Jehovah Witness, from the Seventh-day Adventists, from all these people who claim to be Jews that are not. And notice this, that includes those who practice replacement theology. I'm not saying they're, they're unbelievers, but they look down on you and I. They look down on you. What is the promise to you and I, part of the Philadelphia church, knows that we're not Israel? What is the promise that he says to us? I'm going to make them one day, when they're bowing down before me, admit in your presence that I have loved you and not them. Now, what does that mean? Love, love, love us and not them in that sense. It doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It means that we had, we were true believers. We had a special relationship with Jesus Christ because we were believers. They claim to be with Jesus. But they're not. They claim to be Jews, but they're not. The Mormons claim that they know Jesus, right? They're not. The Jehovah Witnesses claim to be the Israel of God, and they claim to know Jesus. And Jesus is going to bring them before us and have them on their knees, and we will be there. And he's making the promise, I'm going to make them say that I loved you, that you had a true relationship with me, that we were the ones that were right, and they were wrong. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my land. Because of all the abuse you guys get, all the abuse I get, he's going to make it right one day. He's going to force it out of their mouths. You didn't know me, but they did. Admit it. Admit it now in front of me. For them it will be, yes. The great white throne. It will not be at the, this is, this is the judgment that doesn't happen at the judgment seat of Christ because only believers are at the judgment seat of Christ. This will happen at the great white throne judgment, which you and I will be there. We will also judge angels. We will also be a part of this judgment when he judges unbelievers, but those who claim to know him. Many, remember, you know what the saying is. Many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things in your name? And in your name cast out demons. And he will tell them, I never knew you. But one more thing he's adding to this. He will say, I never knew you. And by the way, these guys right here that you said were nuts and crazies and all this other stuff, and they didn't know me, 
they're the ones who did. You done. You didn't know me. Wow. Wow. Okay. He says this, Because you did keep the word of my patience, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. What is that? That's the tribulation, my friends. He is telling the Philadelphia church, I'm going to keep you out of the tribulation. Guess how he's going to do that? The rapture. This is why one of the main reasons we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. He is telling the true believers, the remnant church, I'm going to remove you from that time. I'm taking you out of here. And so you marry this with First Thessalonians chapter 4, and, and you marry with uh, some other passages that talk about the rapture, and there you go. This is, this is one of the main reasons we believe in a pre-tribulational event that will come upon the whole world. So that's not a local judgment. It is the tribulation that comes on the whole world. Why? To try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, what I want you to do on your margins or somewhere on your notes, if you don't want to write in your book, put earth dwellers. Earth dwellers. Earth dwellers. Earth dwellers. That, that phrase will come up in the book of Revelation a myriad of times. Okay. What you have to understand when you read the book of Revelation is contrasting believers with earth dwellers. Now, calling people earth dwellers means that they are unbelievers. See, where is our citizen at? citizenry at? Yeah, you got it. Because where is our citizenship? Yes, that's right. This is their abode. That's right. This is their abode. This is the only abode they will know. Where do we go in the rapture? New Jerusalem. That's our home. That's every believer's home for all eternity. Abraham looked for a city. That's the city, the New Jerusalem. Because of that, we're citizens of that city. We are not earth dwellers. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're heaven dwellers. So this term earth dwellers comes up all the lot, all the time. So in this passage, he says, for the hour of trial that will come upon the whole earth to those who dwell on the earth, to that trial comes on earth dwellers, unbelievers. That's right. Yeah. Right, earth dwellers. Same thing with the Mormons. They have their, their celestial, celestial, and terrestrial, and there's earth dwellers. It's crazy. So you'll see that, that counter distinction between believers and earth dwellers. Okay, so that's a phrase you always want to pay attention to in the book of Revelation. Okay, so check this out. Um, I come quickly. Yes, because he's just mentioned they're going to be raptured. So it's imminency. Uh, the idea of come quickly is imminent. I'm imminent. And when I do come, it's going to be quick. Hold fast to what you have, that no one take your crown. Now, how would we lose our crown? We're believers, but a crown is for rewards. Make sure people don't make you lose your crown. One of the ways you could lose your crown is false doctrine. One of the hallmarks of Philadelphia is they keep his word. They don't deny his name. And he is saying, keep your doctrine straight. Make sure it doesn't get polluted, that you don't commit apostasy so that you can keep your crown. He that overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. 
and he shall go out of there and, and no more. And I will write upon him the name of God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my own new name. He has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that's Philadelphia. And you want to make sure you're part of that Philadelphia church. And I think we are. Um, the Philadelphia church, now, now notice this. Evangelistic, theologically oriented, straight up theologically. Notice in, implicit in the passage is end times issues. They are expecting his return. He says, I'm going to keep you out of the great tribulation. There's all kinds of prophecy mixed in there. They're relatively small. They don't have a lot of strength financially. You see that? I don't want you to ever miss that. When you're looking for true churches, they will have the Philadelphia hallmarks. They struggle financially all the time. Because you know why? When they preach good doctrine and they preach prophecy and they stay with evangelism, it causes them to thin out the crowds. Because if you're a true, if you're a false believer, false believers or, or people pretending won't stay in a church that's preaching true theology unless they're truth seeking. It'll upset them. They only go to churches that make them feel comfortable in their sin. Philadelphia won't do that. And then Philadelphia puts a hard stipulation on, on pressure in them. Evangelize, 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 evangelize. Missions, missions, missions. When you see those hallmarks, you know you're in a good church. Prophecy, evangelism, missions, good theology, and little money. Yeah, and First Peter, or no, Second Peter makes this point too, about when you lose the ability to look forward to your blessed hope, a future orientation of eternal rewards, you end up doing three things. If I can remember off the top of my head, you become myopic, you become blinded, and I can't remember the the, the, the other one. You, um, I think you, I think he says you get focused on the here and now, basically. If I can pull this up real quick, and what you're saying is absolutely true. Um, you start focusing instead of eternal on temporal. Let's find this. These are oh, here it is. For he who lacks these things, uh, this is the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, is short-sighted. That's the idea of myopic. Even to blindness, they become spiritually blind. And this is the third one I forgot. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. The, the inference is they go back to their old lifestyle. That's first, uh, sorry, second Peter chapter one, verse, uh, starting nine and go through, uh, verse nine. Yeah, verse nine. Yeah. So, so if you look at that, what you're seeing is those who don't focus in on prophecy, don't focus in on not just prophecy, but where we're going. They're not heavenly minded. They're not thinking of the millennial kingdom. They're not thinking of, of, of a glorified body. And all that gets erased because Joel Olstein's got them focused in on the here and now and having your best life today. Well, Peter says what that does to a believer is it makes them myopic, can't see anything past today, blind, spiritually blind. So he's saying a believer can become spiritually blind 
This is why sometimes you deal with a believer and it's like, what's going on here? He, he, he or she can't see anything. They've blinded themselves because they're focusing on the here and now. They're not, they don't have an eternal perspective. And then they go back to their old lifestyle. They start going into default mode of how they used to be before they became uh, a Christian. And you start seeing people go back into their old sins, become blind. You can rest assured they're not focusing on the hope they have in Christ in the future. So what, what, pray tell, tell me, what helps people look to the future? Prophecy. So guess what happens to churches who remove prophecy from their pulpit? They are going to have a congregation focused on right now, today, how can I have my best life to now? And they lose the whole perspective that Peter's trying to talk about. Peter will always focus forward. First Peter, second Peter, always goes forward, always goes forward. Paul goes backwards to salvation, salvation, salvation. And John will go to current sanctification, current sanctification, current sanctification. You have all three aspects of salvation hit, but Peter will always go forward into the future. That's the way that all three of them present themselves in their texts. So with that being said, um, again, goes back to what we were previously talking about. When a pastor or a church cherry picks their way through prophecy, they're leaving their people in a spiritual uh, decay almost because their people are going to go back to their old sins. They're not going to progress in their sanctification because they're blinded to things. How many of you ran into Christians that are just completely blind to what's going on around them? Have no clue. You're like, did you see what happened over there in the Middle East with ISIS? And they're like, what, who's ISIS? What? What? You don't even know. It's like, really? Seriously, you're that out of touch? Well, yeah, because the church they go to is in a bubble. I don't. And, 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 hey, I've had that. They say, Brandon, I don't want to hear this. I'm getting out of here. Um, because this is too heavy and it messes up my personal peace. And I'm like, all right. But just pretending it's not happening doesn't stop it from happening, does it? All we're saying, you know, because you're going to get from other Christians, well, you guys are just doom and gloom. You're just doom and gloom. All you guys ever talk about is doom and gloom. No, we're not. All we're talking about is Scripture. The Scripture is telling, we don't, it doesn't scare us, it prepares us. But my point is, that's their ad hominem attack to you is, it's just doom and gloom, doom and gloom, doom and gloom. You guys are all negative, negative, negative. No, what we are, are, is realists. We just see reality for what it is. We're not playing patty cake and thinking this thing is going to turn into lollipops and rainbows and unicorns flying all over the United States. You really think it's going to get better after the lines we have crossed. I mean, just from a practical standpoint. No, it's not. It's not. You think if the Supreme Court rules in gay marriage on July 1st, they're hearing arguments now, you think it's going to be easier for the churches? Forget it. It's over. They're going to come down on us legally. Saying, well, if you preach against homosexuality, if you don't hire a homosexual, if you don't perform gay marriage, you're done as a church. We'll take away your tax exempt status. We'll zone you out from the location you're in. We'll do anything we can to shut you down. See, this is the issue they're going to use to shut the churches down, is the gay marriage. And only 3% of the population is even involved in this lifestyle. But Satan is using that as the number one issue that's going to try to crush the American church. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoy this message and would like to hear them, please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our Redemption Dolls near. God bless.